Hello everyone, this is Jonathan Little. I'm here today with the 157th episode of Weekly Poker Hand. Today we have a hand from early in a $2,000 buy-in side event at the um, Seminole Hard Rock Poker Open in Hollywood, Florida. Here we have a player on the button, a six-year-old guy. I don't know if he's loose or tight. We just sat down. The blinds are 25-50 when we're, and we're playing 12,000 chips deep, so very deep stacked. He makes it 150 a 35-year-old guy in the small blind calls, and it's on me with King Jack of Clubs in the big blind. I'm just going to call here the vast majority of the time. There may be some merit to re-raising if you think you can get called by all sorts of garbage like King 8 offsuit, but early in a tournament with no reads, when I'm out of position, I'm much more inclined to just call with a lot of stuff, and as I learn more about my opponents, we may decide to be aggressive in the future. So I'm just going to call, see a flop, and try to flop well. Top pair is usually good enough. So flop comes jack, seven, six, two hearts, one spade. And now, kind of interesting, the small blind, the 35-year-old guy, leads for 225. So half pot. So what does this range look like? Uh, We kind of ran into a similar situation in the previous episode of Weekly Poker Hand where we don't know what our opponent's range looks like. We can make assumptions, but... Those assumptions really are just pure guesses. And you have to understand that we don't know what this guy is leading with. He may be leading only with his nut hands or only with his draws or only with his marginal made hands. And that's probably the case. He probably isn't only leading with one of those three types of hands. But we don't know which of the three types it is. So for that reason, we should often just assume that it is a mix of those hands, even though it is only one of those specific hands. Of course, you can wait it. Um, I, I would venture to say that most people are going to have marginal made hands or draws here as opposed to sets. So usually our opponent's range is going to be somewhat weak. But um, you, you have to understand you don't know. Just don't don't make the mistake of saying, okay, my opponent only has marginal made hands here because he's going to surprise you and show up with 10-8 offsuit sometimes. Or, or by the same note, don't make the mistake of saying this guy's only going to be leading with draws because he's going to show up with pocket sixes sometimes. And you just don't know because we have no... No sample on this guy. We don't know what he's doing. So anyway, we could call or raise here. I think either play is fine. Uh, the reason raising is fine is because this board is so draw heavy. If this board was, if this board contained fewer draws, say it was like jack 7-2, I would be much more inclined to call. Because then if my opponent has a hand like, I don't know, 3-2 or um, 8-7, I don't really care if he sticks around, right? And I don't want to raise and make him fold those hands because those hands are drawing pretty thin. Whereas here, if my opponent folds and he does have a hand like 10-8, that's fine because I'm, I'm not really going to see that draw coming very clearly, right? So I think both calling and raising are acceptable. This time I do call, but I think if I was playing this hand today, I probably would have just raised immediately to something like 800. But calling's fine. Also, raising usually gets the button out. This time the button does call. And when the button gets out, that's not a bad result. All right, turn is the five of diamonds. So the obvious straight draw, nine, eight completes, but the flush draw misses. And now the small blind again bets 225, this time into the 1,125 pot. So now he's betting fifth pot or so. So he bet half pot on the flop and now fifth pot on the turn. This is where I will start making assumptions about the opponent's range. I would definitely say that the nut hands are incredibly unlikely because if he had a nut hand, he would certainly bet bigger to try to get value from the draws, value from the jacks, and to uh, protect versus various draws. So this 225 bet would be particularly awful if he had a good hand. So knowing that, that means he either has a marginal made hand or a draw. And I think that that is 
about as clear as it could be. But again, I don't know if he has the marginal made hands or the draws. Either way, if he does have a marginal made hand like 8-7 or ace-7, those hands actually have a decent amount of equity against me. And whenever he's betting so small, he's giving himself a pretty good price just to draw if I, if I call, right? So I would like to raise against the marginal made hands, even if they're going to fold. And against the draws, clearly I want to make the pot bigger while I'm ahead, right? So I think raising is much more mandatory on the turn as opposed to the flop. Um, the six-year-old guy on the button is a concern, but a lot of players in the, on the, in the button shoes would have raised with a hand like ace-jack or pocket queens on the flop. So I think we can raise here, and if either player re-raises me at this point, I think I can easily fold. So um, this is a pretty pretty straight-up value raise, I think. And I'm going to make it about, I was going to say 1,000. This time I make it 850. I think this is probably a little bit small. Again, going back to the previous episode of Weekly Poker Hand, I mentioned when your opponent bets so small on the turn, you can make it a little bit bigger. Um, I, I mentioned that most amateurs just, as a default, make it three times their opponent's bet on the turn, but you need to make it a little bit bigger if your opponent bets so tiny. And here, I, I would have liked just a slightly larger raise. But whatever, 1850 it's all fine. It's better than 625 or something like that, because then your opponent's getting the right price to call with all of his stuff. So I do make it 850, and again, the six-year-old guy calls on the button. So now, I think there certainly is reason to be concerned. The guy on the button could have... Well, I would venture to say that he has either a lot of good draws or a lot of top pairs or better. And his good draws may be hands like 8-6 for you know pair plus a open-ended straight draw. But even, that, even again, that hand has plenty of equity against me. So uh, before the river even comes, I know I'm going to be checking the vast majority of them. If the river's a jack, I'm just going to bet again. Obviously, I could be against ace-jack, but it's pretty unlikely. Um, if there was a king, I'll bet again as well. But any other river, I'm going to be checking most likely because I don't. I have no clue if the 60-year-old guy either has a better made hand already or if he has a draw, which if he misses, he's going to consider bluffing. And if I bet the river and he has a, a busted draw, he's always going to fold, right? So there's no point in betting there. Or he has some really junky made hand that's going to fold to another bet, but I think that's pretty unlikely. So either he has a draw which will play perfectly if I bet, or he has a jack or a stronger made hand, which I don't really want to put much more money in against. While he could have, you know, jack nine or jack 10, he also has ace jack and um, aces, kings, queens, etc. Maybe he has pocket tens, but again, if I bet the river, he's probably not calling with pocket tens. So as you can see, I'm already thinking ahead about how this hand is going to play out. If the 35-year-old guy calls me on the turn, that's going to make it even a much more clear check. But I already know I'm checking anyway. But uh, the guy who did lead twice now folds, so clearly he was just messing around. Rivers and ace of spades. And I'm just checking, like I said. And six-year-old guy checks behind. Maybe we win. And we do. So he had jack eight. And a lot of people, when they see this, they think, oh, well, clearly the line of checking all the rivers was bad because your opponent had jack eight. But what you have to realize is that, first off, we don't know if this guy even would have called a river bet with Jack-8, given I called the flop lead, raised the turn lead, and then bet again on the river, right? I mean, if I have any made hand, that beats Jack-8. So my opponent may have just folded that to a river bet. And also, if he has Jack-8, you have to realize he also has Jack-9 and Jack-10 and Queen-Jack, and I beat all of those. But I know I mentioned on the flop that a lot of people raise with hands like Ace-Jack and Pocket-Queens, but we don't know that. Again, you don't know these things. And... I have recently seen a lot of my students at PokerCoaching.com getting themselves in trouble because I am all about making reads on your opponents and adjusting your strategy accordingly. 
But this is the first hand of the tournament, and we don't know that. We don't know anything. We just know this is a 60-year-old guy. And you can make assumptions about the generic player pool or the generic 60-year-old guy in a tournament, but you have to understand that whatever assumptions you make are purely assumptions and should not be given too much weight. So instead, you just sort of revert to just playing some sort of fundamentally sound strategy that maybe exploits generic tendencies. And maybe you've seen in your game that legitimately every time someone has ace-jack or better on this flop and faces a bet and a lead, they have ace-jack or better 100% of the time when they raise, and they have worse than ace-jack 100% of the time when they call. And if that's the case, on a safe river, perhaps we could justify betting. But (laughs) I do not play in these specific tournaments often enough to have that read. And I don't think most people do, unless you play at the same casino, the same buy-in tournament with the same people, or roughly the same player pool all the time. Because, I mean, I'm I'm playing, you know, $10,000 tournaments one day and then $1,500 tournaments the next day. And that's a very different player pool. So I often miss out on generic player pool tendencies. So that leads me to just playing a somewhat fundamentally sound strategy. And also in tournaments, a strategy that just keeps me out of a lot of trouble. When you check on a lot of rivers here, it's hard to get, it's hard to lose a big pot. I mean, I'm going to check. My opponent's going to bet 1,500 or 2,000. I'm going to call. And I'm either going to win or I'm going to lose. And that's fine. Whereas if you bet and your opponent raises, now all of a sudden you're likely playing for your whole stack. And certainly I don't want to play for my whole stack here. And that's just going to result in me folding. But for all we know, this generic 60-year-old guy, this one in particular, loves bluffing the river. And I don't know that because we just sat down. And if this guy bluffs me on the river because he knows that kids like me like to value bet too thinly so he can bluff the river, let's just assume that's what he does and what he thinks, well, then clearly my fold's going to be atrocious and the guy's going to exploit me to death. So to make it very difficult to exploit me, checking or checking makes it very difficult to exploit me, whereas betting certainly opens the door wide open. So that's going to be it for this. this ep- yeah, I can't talk. I'm tongue-tied. <laughs> So that's going to be it for this episode of Weekly Poker Hand. Again, thanks to all of you for being here. I appreciate it. If you like this podcast, please share it with your friends. That's by far the most beneficial thing you can do for me. Um, Good luck in your games, and I will talk to you next week.